0: Welcome to Element Church. I'm so excited you guys are here with us today. My name is Brendan Anderson. I am the youth pastor here at the church. Whether you've been here a lot, you're out in the lobby, maybe you're online, or this is your first time here, I just want to say how excited I am to get to bring the Word of God to you. Before we get started, can I just tell you guys a little bit about Fusion? It's not really a question, because you have to listen to me. Um, But I get the opportunity this morning. Um, We have been having just an incredible summer in our youth ministry. Uh, About a month ago, we got to take 30 high school students to a conference down in Colorado Springs called Desperation. Um, It's an incredible conference put on to get kids fired up and just desperate for Christ in their lives. Um, Multiple kids were impacted by this event. A couple of them actually felt a call to ministry afterwards. Just just warmed my heart because I was called to ministry at that same conference. Uh, seven years ago. So it's absolutely amazing seeing that. A couple weeks ago, we got to take 30 junior high students up into the Beartooth Mountains in Montana for a camp. And while up there, we had five of them decide to take their next steps in Christ by being baptized up there in front of their friends and counselors. They got to witness it. We actually have a sign-up going on right now for students to be baptized in fusion on a fusion night. We've never gotten to do this before, but we decided we wanted to give students the opportunity to be baptized, not just on a Sunday in front of like random people and strangers, but, but in front of their friends and their family that they invite, a group that they can be held accountable to. And we already have six students signed up for that. It's absolutely incredible. And yeah, it's seriously... And I tell you all this because, one, I don't normally get to be up here and share with you. They keep me locked away with them uh, for most of the year, which is fine. I love that. Um, It is an absolute joy to get to see students getting on fire, taking their next steps in Christ. And then also the students in your lives, uh, like just what I told you, they're doing amazing things. And so I just want to challenge you that if you know one of them, whether they are, you know, your child or maybe a grandchild, maybe they're just a family friend that you've um, been close with their parents, so they've kind of grown up under your care as well. My challenge is that you would just take the time to encourage them, to to talk to them, to, to ask them what God is doing in their lives. Because what they are dealing with in today's age is so much more than any of us ever had to when we were their age, and that says a lot because like I was their age not very long ago. Um, but like the, the difference in what they're dealing with versus what we dealt with, what you dealt with, what even your parents dealt with is vastly, vastly different. And I believe just that our support is so vital to them. So just, man, take the time to talk with them. Um, yeah, okay. Let's get going for today. Sorry, that was my youth pastor rant. That's, that's my opportunity to get up here. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm the youth pastor here at Element. Uh, and if you're new here or maybe just haven't had a chance to attend uh, during the summer, I know it's, we get very busy during the summer. We only have like three weeks in Cheyenne to like do things outside. Um, so <laughs> I understand the busyness of what summer is. We get very excited about getting to take those chances. But uh, our lead pastor, Jeff Manis is currently on a summer sabbatical and is giving him some much needed rest and relaxation and recharging so that he can come back and continue leading the ministry of Element into the future. So if you follow him on like Instagram or Facebook, if you don't, you should, because he is posting some amazing videos and photos of what he's getting a chance to see. I mean, things like a couple weeks ago, he was in Jerusalem getting to uh, visit the places that Jesus would have actually been during his ministry as well. So he's posting videos from like, like uh, the Garden of Gethsemane when uh, Jesus was was praying to God right before the soldiers took him away. He he was posting videos inside the place where the trial would have taken place um, with Jesus and Pilate. I mean, absolutely incredible things. And so I just want to say that we are so blessed as a church, to give our pastor a sabbatical, a way way to recharge and be ready for what God is going to do through him in the coming ministry. I would say that as a church, we are healthier being able to send our pastor away than we are keeping him all summer long um, to try and make him continue doing it. And I'll say me personally, I am blessed to have the opportunity to get up in front of you guys and stretch my communication skills just a little bit because it is much more terrifying to preach in front of adults um, than it is teenagers. And so, like, it's scary for me, but it's comforting because I get to get up here. I get to share with you. I get to grow as a pastor, as somebody that God has called into this ministry. And what we've been doing all summer, as Pastor Jeff has been gone, is we've been doing a sermon series called Minor Prophets, Major Messages, going through each of the minor prophets in the Bible, who are called minor only because of the length of their book, not because what they had to say in their books were any less important than the major prophets. And today, I have the utmost honor to talk to you guys about Habakkuk. And a quick disclaimer before we get started, while his name is Habakkuk, I think that's how you pronounce it. What I'm going to do, and I hope you all don't mind, is I'm going to probably call him a backpack a lot of the time because it's much easier to say. You're not guessing quite as much in terms of like, is this how I pronounce it? And also what it's going to do is by the end of this sermon, it's going to subliminally like implant into your minds that when you leave, you should stop by our backpack booth (laughs) and you should support... (laughs) <laughs> and you should go buy just one backpack to help I Heart Wyoming, the back-to-school bash that we're going to hold here in Cheyenne in just a few weeks, getting to, to be a part of changing a kid's life who might not have had the school supplies to go to school, and now they're able to have them absolutely free. Another quick disclaimer is I want you guys to know that I don't feel at all qualified to preach to you about Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk is a book about doubt, about injustice, about troubles. And I don't know a lot about that. It was written in a time when the nation of Judah was quickly deteriorating. If you don't know there at this time, there's two um, countries that Israelites are living in. There's Israel in the top and then Judah is the Southern kingdom. And at this point in Judah's history, it's had many different Kings, some of which were good and they followed God's laws. They were upright and just and others were not so good. They enacted pagan worship, they built idols, and the Bible says specifically about them that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So Habakkuk would have lived through a good king, King Josiah, who was upright and just, who had uh, done well in the eyes of the Lord. And he was now witnessing that deterioration under King Jehoiakim. So Habakkuk is seeing violence and iniquity and contention, disputes, destruction, injustice happening inside God's holy people. Uh, Like, this was normal for the nations surrounding them, for the cultures outside them, because they weren't called to be anything better, but they were set apart. The Israelites were supposed to be God's example to the other nations. And so, back back, he sees all the troubles around him, and in the first chapter of his book, he cries out to God. And it's not just a cry, The Hebrew word translated, it literally means to scream, to cry with a loud voice, to cry with a disturbed heart. You see, he needs to know why God is so indifferent to the trouble that is happening in the world. I think there's this Christian myth. Many of you will probably agree with me, I hope. But it says that Christianity solves all of our problems. Um, Normally, this is like a very, it's a beginner Christian myth. They beginner, like, like a new convert. They think that you, know, you give your life to Christ and all the problems that you dealt with as a sinner, they're just gonna go away because now you have God in you. So that solves all your problems, but it, they don't. In fact, the only problem that Christianity actually solves is a spiritual problem. It's the problem that you have with God. It, it doesn't actually solve the problems around you. But when you become a Christian and you grow in your faith and you look at the world around you, there's this bigger problem that you begin to see emerging, not just a problem, but there is trouble and iniquity and violence and injustice. And see, the the problem is this. Now you know the creator. You've become a Christian, the God who controls the heaven and the earth, who's all-knowing and all-powerful and perfect. You know him, and yet you see everything around you, the evil in this world. So maybe like Habakkuk, maybe you have cried out to God about the troubles in our life, the evil that is rampant Here. And our big idea today is this the thread that we're going to be stringing all through this sermon. What I believe Habakkuk is trying to tell us is this our faith doesn't solve our troubles. Our faith doesn't solve our troubles. And so the big question needs to be this well, where do I look in times of trouble? Where do I look in times of trouble? The main scripture is going to be Habakkuk chapter 2. Verses 2 through 20. And before we get to that, um, let me just say this. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If it's on your phone or something like that, you can pull it up. Um, Would love to have you follow along with me. If you're on like the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along with my actual notes um, that I give you if you like them. You don't have to. You can write your own notes. Um, But if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible today. Please don't leave without owning your own Bible. Even if you have it on your phone and you don't have a legitimate Bible, you should have one because it's so important in your life. And so, stop by guest services. Please just ask for a Bible. We'd love to give you one absolutely free, our gift to you today. And then also, there's this. Maybe you're here today and you are not a Christian. You're not believing God. You're just here because you were dragged here, or you just like it here. Maybe you like the music. I like the music too. I don't know what it is. But if you're here today, you're not a Christian. You don't have to believe anything that I'm going to tell you. Um, You don't have to look to where I'm telling you to look in times of trouble. I think you should. Um, I think you don't have to be a Christian. You can still begin to see this. I think there's going to be a truth that's implanted in your heart today about what God has to say to you in times of trouble. But I want you to know that regardless of what you believe, we are so thankful for you being here and feeling welcome here. And we hope that you continue coming here um, every week. We love having you here. Um, before we read the main scripture, I need to set the scene for you. Okay. So like I said, the minor prophets are minor because of the length of their book. So like Habakkuk is only three chapters long. And if you jump into chapter two, that's like jumping in an hour into a movie and expecting to know what's happening. You have no idea what's happening. People are just fighting each other. Um, so let me tell you what happens in chapter one. It's incredible. And what happens is this, Habakkuk has seen everything happening, right? He's seen the trouble. He's seeing everything going wrong inside God's holy people in the surrounding nations. He's like, God, where are you? So he cries out to God at what he's seeing. And he says, what are you going to do about it, God? Like, why is this all still happening? Don't you care? And God responds with telling him that the Babylonians, another nation, were going to come and destroy Judah, God told him that he had seen the troubles happening, he'd watched the injustice take place, and the Babylonians was his answer. That was the punishment that would happen to Judah. But that's not good enough for Habakkuk, because that only raised more questions. The, the Babylonians were worse than the people of Judah. So why would God, a holy God, use evil people to punish his people? Like, why is he still letting the evilness in the world prosper? And the people who were supposed to be set apart, why is he going to get rid of them? It didn't make sense to him. They were bad. Like the people of Judah needed to be punished, but they didn't need to be annihilated. So our prophet brings that up to God. He's like, God, this doesn't make sense. You're a good God. Why are you letting all these evil people prosper? They're building their nations on, on murder and, and corruption. Like, why is that happening? But you're going to punish us? We're not that bad. So he asks God these questions, these questions that we will all deal with one day as Christians, the questions of why is all this evil, why is all this trouble in the world? And he says, I'm going to wait, God, for you to answer me. Specifically, he says, uh, I'm gonna wait on a watchtower as I wait patiently for the response of the Lord. So if you walk out today, you can grab one of the cards, the baseball cards that we have of all the prophets. And on the back, the very top in parentheses, it's watchtower. That is like the the key idea or the key thought for Habakkuk because he sat on a watchtower to wait for the Lord's response. And that's where we're gonna pick it up in verse two. Remember, faith doesn't solve our trouble. So we need to know where do we look in times of trouble Habakkuk chapter two, verse two says this. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Faith doesn't solve our troubles. So where do we look in times of trouble? Number one is this. We look to God's grace. God's grace. This passage is contrasting two very different types of people. The proud over here and then the righteous. And the very immediate application is to talk about the Babylonians, right? Like that's what God would have been saying to Habakkuk. And hold on, let's pause just for a minute. I need to make this note for you guys. Everything that we are reading today is not from some man, okay? The the words that are being spoken, we're reading from the book of Habakkuk, but these words come from the one true God. This is not Habakkuk making it up. This is not a a sermon that he's writing. This is not a prophet speaking to us. It is God who said, write this down, because what I'm about to say needs to be on stone tablets for everyone to read, which is why we get to read it today. I, I didn't realize that until earlier this week, like I had prepped for this sermon, I would prepared for it. And then earlier this week, I realized I'm not just reading like uh, some words from Paul or Peter, which was just another man, a very godly man, but just a man. No, this is the word of God spoken to us. That's so important. What God is doing is he's comparing two types of people The proud that trust in themselves, trust in their power, they they live by their own rules. And when that happens, their lives are crooked. And and I don't believe it's just crooked. I believe that they actually twist inwardly. See, I believe we were made to live outwardly. And what I mean is this, the moments that we are truly the happiest in this life is when our hearts are pointed out to other people. I think of like weddings when your heart's literally turned out to another person where you're joined together as one. I think of like um, when a baby is born and your heart is turned out to that child that has just entered the world. I think of like when you get a free bean burrito at Taco Bell and you didn't order it but they had an extra one so they just put it in your bag and you're like, oh my gosh, maybe not that one. Okay, but it's close. It comes close. But see, when we trust in ourselves, that crookedness, that, that inward twist it typically turns into some things that we don't need in our lives, like greed or lust, that, that longing to be satisfied, but never actually being satisfied. So you keep doing the things to hopefully reach that satisfaction that you just can't attain. I know this because that's what we read. See, the Babylonians were proud people. They weren't satisfied with what they had. They craved more, more land, more wealth, more slaves. So they continued to take from everywhere. But it never leads to what we truly want, what we truly need. And for the Babylonians, what it led to was disappointment and ruin and death. And I feel like God is warning the same thing in this day and age as well. However, we're not just talking about the proud, right? The righteous will live by faithfulness to God. And maybe some of you are asking, like, what does this have to do with grace? He said grace a long time ago, and I'm not following him anymore. Stay with me. Here's the thing about grace and faith. They go hand in hand. In fact, I don't believe that you can have one without the other. We quote this all the time, that it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. This is not from yourself, but a gift from God. So when God says that righteous will live by faith, it's not only an earthly truth, it's an eternal promise. And that's not all. He says you have to live that faith out. The righteous will live by faithfulness to me. And in First John 5, 4, it says, for every child of God defeats this evil world, defeats the evils of this world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. When we see trouble in the world, we can achieve victory over it. That's the promise that we're being shown in scripture. And Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter in the Bible. It details all the men and women in the Bible who had the incredible faith in God that we could only wish to have one day. And just before chapter 11 is Hebrews chapter 10. That's how numbers work. Um, But see, but verses 37 and 38 is so important. It says, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. He's talking about Jesus and my righteous ones will live by faith. That sounds familiar, right? This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, the coming of Jesus, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for surely it will take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. See, the author of Hebrews is building on the scripture that we get to read in Habakkuk, words spoken by God. Never do we see in the Bible that everything is going to be okay in this life. Never do we see that nothing around you will trouble you. Never do we see that evil will, will not be with us. What we see is the words, trust me. And please understand, I don't want this to be a cop-out. I, I, we look to God's grace in times of trouble because it's only through God's grace that we can even see the trouble in this world, that we can hear the cries coming from those being oppressed, that we have the breath of life in our lungs. It's because of his grace that we can even have faith in him. Continuing on in verse 9, we're going to jump just a few verses to hear it. It says this. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nests beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption. Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of the nation will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. Faith doesn't solve our troubles. So where do we look in times of trouble to God's grace? And the number two is this, we look to God's glory, God's glory. What we just read um, is pretty extreme for us in present day America. Again, I say, I don't really feel qualified to preach on this kind of subject, mainly because I've never seen it that some of you have actually witnessed this, that you've seen the injustice in the world. You understand the troubles that actually happen. I don't necessarily, growing up as a white male in Cheyenne, Wyoming, never leaving my personal bubble, being pretty shielded my entire life. I've never had to deal with the evil that permeates this world. I don't know what it's like to see people build big houses with money gained dishonestly or or build cities through murder and corruption. Like I know it happens. I see it on the news. I've heard the stories, I've read the history books, but I don't have a lot of experience to draw upon or at least I didn't. But recently I had the privilege um, of going on a missions trip to Bolivia And down there, I saw things that I would never experience here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And one of the things that I learned, I didn't necessarily see it, but but I got to hear about it and kind of learn the situation in their country was of the corruption of government officials, specifically the police and the military. The the people that were supposed to keep you safe down there are really just there to exploit you. What I learned were things like you shouldn't carry your passport or important documents that you think you should have on you when you're in a foreign country and don't even understand the language. Like, you're not supposed to keep those because if you're stopped and it's taken from you, you're not getting them back. You're going to pay money to get them back, but you're not going to get them back. And uh, what's really cool is one of the translators from Cochabamba is in the States right now. And yesterday morning, she got to go to the Frontier Days Parade. I was like, you got to go to the parade. It's weird, but like, this is what we do in America. Um, (laughs) This is what we do. (laughs) And afterwards, we go through the whole thing, you know, like the the 200 horses, the wagons, the the parades. Um, I asked her, what what was your favorite part? What did you think of this? It was very foreign to her, obviously. And one of the things she said was that we had such a respect for our military. Because every time our flag would come or the military would watch, march by, what do we do? We stand, we stand up. I love that. And what it did is yesterday morning, it put into perspective for me the corruption that this world truly deals with. And understand this, I know that we're talking about where do we look when we see troubles and we should be looking somewhere. Like that's what this whole sermon is about. But if we don't acknowledge and know what is happening outside the walls of our little personal bubbles, why would we even need to look somewhere? I didn't know why I needed to look somewhere. See, I didn't feel qualified to preach this sermon because here I am in little Cheyenne, Wyoming. I don't know anything of troubles, but now I know of the people in Bolivia that deal with the corruption that God wants me to preach on. God broke my heart for the people around the world, those living out the trouble that I'm preaching on. And I think this all happened. God teaching me, orchestrating this months in advance is because I literally did not know why I was preaching on the book of Habakkuk, a book I originally didn't even see any relevance to today. But now I understand that there are people out there who need to hear it. There are people out there that need me to preach it. God wants the people to know this is what I have to say because corruption and dishonesty and greed and murder, they're out there. And we can either be blinded by it. You can be like me and be ignorant of it, or we can look past it to God's glory. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. This isn't a guess. Okay. Like it's not, maybe people will know about the glory of God, or we're thinking about telling them later, or we're handing out pamphlets and looking into the cost of a billboard because we need a sign because people need to drive by and know about the glory of God. That's not what it is. This is a prophetic announcement from God, not people. These words aren't from man. This isn't from the prophet that we're reading about. This is the word of God written on stone tablets for us today that God's glory is forever. The heavens already know it. In Isaiah chapter six, we see this beautiful picture of the angels in heaven and and they're calling out to each other. They say, they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The troubles in this life are temporary. God was telling Habakkuk, he's telling us, no matter what, the things in this life are going to fade. Okay, the buildings built on bloodshed, they're gonna fall. The money gained dishonestly, it's gonna be worthless. But the awareness of God's glory will fill the earth. One day Jesus will return. And on that day, everyone, the sinners, the Christians, the righteous, the, the proud, it doesn't matter. They will all acknowledge God's glory. And it's already happening in heaven. See, it's a, we need a shift in perspective God's saying, look, this is all going to go away, but my glory is forever. Stop looking right here at the evil. My glory is forever. One day it it will be acknowledged in all the earth. So look to it. Verse 18 says this. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God, you can't e- a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Faith doesn't solve our troubles. So where do we look in times of trouble? We look to God's grace, God's glory. And number three, the last one is this, we look to God's govern. God's govern. I said in that last passage that it was pretty far off from America. Remember, like it was an extreme side that we don't really experience. Well, here's where I think we outshine the rest of the world uh, and it's not in a good way. You see, idolatry was rampant. In, during the ministry of a backpack. Like we've been talking about the Babylonians, how they're going to get what's coming to them, so to say, because they're proud and they, they, they only live for themselves. But here's where Judah was guilty as well. I told you guys, King Josiah, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He, he had gotten rid of the pagan worship. He gotten rid of all the, uh, the idols, but he was no longer in power. Okay, King Jehoiakim had stepped up and the people of Judah had begun worshiping other gods. They became like the other nations. They had built idols to these gods, things that they thought were going to help them. And all the prophets are crying out against this. They're like, what are you doing? You're breaking the second commandment. You will have no other gods besides the one true God. So the prophets were warning the people of the consequence, the punishment that we're going to receive. But none of them would listen. Church, welcome to America. America. I believe we are at the highest danger of idolatry than any other country. And we are in an age that makes it so much easier, so much more widespread, and so much more acceptable, even inside the church. And let me back up just a second. I want to explain to you what this is. Idolatry at its very core is worshiping the created instead of the creator. Okay, idolatry is worshiping the created instead of the creator. And so whatever people delight in besides God, whatever we're devoted to, sacrifice to, look to, obsess with, can't bear to be without, those are our idols. Maybe it's famous people like actors or actresses, musicians, politicians, athletes, whoever. Or if you're single or dating, even if you're married, I believe that your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse can very quickly become an idol when you begin placing them above God. Way too often, I see them put their significant other before God and it happens especially in students, which is why I tell them not to date and they don't listen to me, Um, one day maybe. Maybe it's actually man-made things like jewelry or a car or a house and understand me, I'm not saying you can't have beautiful things, like you, you can have that, you can enjoy the things that you have but if you can't bear to be without it or you can't give it away, then you don't own it, it owns you. If you can't give it away, then you don't own it. It owns you. Cell phones. Don't look at my messages. (laughs) Cell phones. Everyone's hearts just, like, beat a little faster. (laughs) Stay with me. This is a powerful tool and a dangerous idol. Most of us do not worship so to say, our phones. Like, I don't think any of you have like a secret closet shrine that you go to afterwards and like you put your phone on the pedestal and then you're like, thank you, phone. Um, I don't think that's what happens. But man, the amount of time that we spend on it versus the amount of time we spend with God, even I was convicted writing my sermon with the amount of distraction my phone provided for me while I was writing my sermon. It's not always bad things. Like sometimes, like I have my Bible on my phone. That's an excuse. Um, But here I am trying to write the word of God, but Facebook is calling to me. I have to send my streaks out on Snapchat. Like there's things that I have to do. It pulls to me. And it's dangerous. Because see, in our troubles, we tend to look at what we've created and expect it to make things better. We look to our government. We look to our hospitals. We look to uh, schools. We yell at technology. Teach us. Fix things. While God waits in his holy temple. We look to what's temporary instead of relying on the eternal. Remember, all of this is going to fade. The phones, the walls, the hospitals, the governments, it all fall. But God's glory will fill the earth. His govern is eternal. Um, Please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. That's a quick disclaimer. It breaks my heart that some adults, some parents would rather their kids be teachers or lawyers or engineers or anything else than go into a ministry that their child feels called to. Because the church is so unstable. It's too dangerous. You don't know where you're going to wind up. You're not going to make enough money. Like, when do we start trusting more in what we create than the God who created everything? Why, why do we think that we've constructed is going to be better off than the God's church that he established? Because it'll bring less problems? B- because you'll, you won't have enough money? You're gonna have more troubles? Listen, it doesn't matter if you're gonna have more troubles because we know where to look in times of trouble. We look to God's grace. God's saying, hey, live by faith. Trust me. And then God's glory, God's saying, everything else is going to fade. It doesn't matter what else you do because my glory will come into the earth. And that's all that there is going to be. My son is coming. So be prepared and to God's govern because God is saying, I'm on the throne. I'm in control. Let everyone be silent in front of me. I'm not surprised. I know what's happening. You're bringing me your troubles. I see it going on, but I've got this. So we don't need to complain about what's happening. We don't need to question what he's doing. All we have to do is be faithful to his word. And this is not a cop-out. Please don't, don't take this as like an easy answer. You're dealing with troubles. God's in control. That's not what I'm saying. I think sometimes Christians take the easy way out and we just say that God is God and then nothing else. You know what I mean? Like something terrible happens in your life, like, like somebody dies or you find out that you have a medical condition, like cancer or something like that. And then like that Christian friend like pops out of the bushes and they're like, hey, God works in mysterious ways, right? right? Or we quote, I hate this. Uh, we quote like, um, God works all, all things together for his good. Like that's not helpful. You don't say that to somebody who has cancer. That, that doesn't work. It's true, but in this situation, they're not looking For that, 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 that it's too easy. I don't want this to be easy. But we, Christians, we live by promises, not explanations. I want that to sink in. God is speaking a word to Habakkuk. God speaking to him, speaking to us. He does not explain anything. What he does is he promises what he's going to do. And when we remember these things, when we look to these things, our worry about our situations, our worry in our troubles, it turns to worship despite our situations, despite the troubles that we're dealing with. See, God promises all of this to Habakkuk, and and this is his response. This is what I want my response to be. This is what I want to leave you guys with today. It's Habakkuk chapter 3. Just a few verses, 17 through 19. It says this Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Faith won't solve our troubles. So, where do we look? In times of troubles, to God's grace, God saying, Trust me, live by my faith. To His glory, saying, This is temporary, but I am eternal. And to His govern, He's on the throne, He's in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so undeserving of your love, but you showered upon us anyway. Lord, we don't know why evil is in this world. You don't explain it to us. We're not supposed to know. But Lord, thank you so much for the promises that we find in scripture, the promises from you that tells us you are in control. Lord, I just pray that that would sink into our hearts today, that as we go out and we face the troubles that are in this life, we would remember the truths that you have spoken to us. Lord, we don't deserve it but you've given it to us. And we're so thankful. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.